0: Um, this morning we got a treat for you. We're starting a new uh, sermon series. So we just finished a series where we we, we called it uh, "Hallowed Be Your Name," and the the whole point of that was when when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, "Pray like this." Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The the idea in the beginning of that prayer is just seeing like that God is holy, seeing who he is. And so we went through that over the last few months of looking at who God actually is. Some basic theology um, to kind of set our hearts on who God actually is. Um, This morning now we start another short uh, series. We're calling it um, On Earth As It Is In Heaven. Jesus goes on in that Lord's prayer to say, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the idea there is Jesus is teaching us as people to pray. And as we pray, we are um, we're asking, Lord, let, let your kingdom come here. So God's kingdom, like he explains it as your will, like your will that's being done perfectly in heaven. We want to see your will being done on earth in the same way that your will is being done in heaven. And so um, that the, the idea that we're, we're looking at here in this series is saying, how do, we, um, how do we become active participants in uh, the things of God, the kingdom of God, um, making that real here on earth, letting it shape our world, ourselves and our world? And um, the way that we're going to look at that specifically in this series is by looking at our work lives. Um, So the idea of work, and and when I say like work or job or career, like those things mean different things to probably everybody in here, okay? So many of you are like working and you're just like um, exhausted from how intense your work is. Some of you are just starting a career. Um, Some of you literally this week have just lost a job. Um, Others of you are retired. Some of you are stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads. And so the idea of work is like really multifaceted, and there's a a spectrum uh, in this room of what that means to us. But what we want to do is begin to take these things of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God, and begin to look at what does that look like in our work lives. We spend so much of our waking hours um, at work. And the thing we want to avoid is us getting to this place where, um, okay, we are spiritual. when We're here on Sunday mornings, and then we are secular when we step out of this room. And the reality is is that the kingdom of God is everywhere, and the will of God needs to be uh, taking shape everywhere that we are. And so how do we see um, our work selves— uh, and our faith selves like uh, united and uh, overlapping and integrated. Um, Bar- Barna released a study recently where they, they showed that um, two-thirds of Christians um, have a sense that their work matters, uh, their faith matters in terms of their work. Those two things are related. So two-thirds of Christians are like, yeah, these two things interrelate. And I that should be 100% because it absolutely does. But two-thirds is pretty good but only one third of Christians had a sense of like how that actually works. Does that make sense? So a lot of people have a vague idea that like my faith should inform what I do or how I do what I do in my work, um, but we don't have a lot of practical connection of what does that actually look like. So what we're gonna do in these, um, these next handful of weeks here is just walk through that and talk through theologically, how does God frame the work that we're doing? How does he, um, how, how, how is he calling us? What's he inviting us into? How is he empowering us in those kinds of things? To start us off with that, I've got a nice treat for you. So Steven Sanchen is um, a member of our church family. You've seen him up um, noodling on the electric guitar often, um, and he's been uh, phenomenal in that. He and his whole family have been just a huge blessing to, um, to me and to our church family, and um, uh, Steve is uh both a seminary trained guy and someone who's working in the real world uh of finance the real and exciting work of finance and um and so he's going to kick us off in this series so thank you steve
1: all right great what a warm welcome that's great well good morning creekside so good to be with you uh, mark said my name's steve me and my wife chelsea um we started coming here about two and a half years ago and when we arrived you know, we were pretty broken, pretty worn out. And this place has been a place of healing for us. And you guys, you guys have shown us so much love, so much kindness to us. So I'm so grateful to be here with you today. So grateful uh, to God uh, for working in and through us here at Creekside. Well, uh, like Mark said, we're starting a sermon series on the theology of work. Um, Actually, it's more like a theology of our everyday mundane lives, right? So whether you have a corporate job, whether you're an artist, uh, you're a stay-at-home mom and dad, or you're retired and are volunteering, the big question that we want to ask during this series is what does God have to say about our work? So what does God have to say about whatever we're putting our hands to during our day? And I think for many Christians, I know for myself, we often feel this split. We feel this disjunction between our ordinary, mundane work that we do every day, and then our spiritual lives, right? Our church lives, our devotion to Jesus. So on the one hand, we can have these profound experiences in corporate worship, right? In church worship, where we can sense the presence of God and filled with wonder and adoration, just like we we just experienced. Then there's those times of private prayer, where we quietly open ourselves up to the all-consuming love of God. But on the other hand, right, there's all those routine aspects of our life that take up uh, the majority of our time. So that's like changing diapers, commuting to work, filling out expense reports, driving kids to soccer practice, dealing with angry clients, trying to stay on top of the never-ending incoming emails, right, so much of our work, so much of our daily lives as Christians can feel like second best. Like weren't we created for more? Weren't we created for worship? Weren't we created for transcendence? Isn't God's purpose for us something greater than packing lunches for our kids or filling out Excel spreadsheets? Have you ever felt that? Or maybe you haven't thought much about how your faith intersects with your work, but you're just working hard to climb the corporate ladder or make some extra money to provide some stability and comfort for your family. And I think wherever you are at today, however you came here to Creekside, with the Bible, what God has to say about our work is going to challenge us. It certainly has for me. So about eight years ago, I moved to the Sacramento area from Canada. And at that time, I landed my first career job. So I worked really, really hard to land a job in an investment consulting firm. And I got the job that I wanted. And I hated it as soon as I got it. I did not like it at all. So I went to the extreme, right? I decided to go to seminary and find a more spiritual career. But during my time at seminary, something changed within me. So through studying the Bible... God really transformed the way that I view my work and the mundane aspects of my life. So, so much so that at the end of my degree, I decided not to work for a church. Instead, I continued to work at that job that I had when I first began seminary, that job that I hated. And I still work there today. So my, my job hasn't changed, right? But I've changed. I've got a lot more purpose. And I'm able to see how my work connects to God's work in the world and how God is working in and through me into the world. And this is the journey that I want to take you on all uh, here today. The journey that I went on, I want to kind of show you in the scriptures what I was able to see. Have you ever um, been up to the Sierra Nevadas or maybe gone out camping somewhere, kind of away from the cities and been able to see the stars in all their glory? Right, you look up at the night sky, you see millions and millions of stars shining so bright. It's as though there's no black in the sky. And you know that feeling that it gives you? Right, makes you feel so small, yet it fills you with this wonder and awe for all that God has made. Do you know that as you go about your mundane evening routine every single night at home, those same stars are above your head? Right, As you're putting the kids to bed, maybe you're sipping some wine or vegging out watching Netflix, those glorious stars are above your head every single night, but we don't sense the wonder and awe of it, right? We're too lazy to step outside and take a look. And even if we went outside and take a look, right, there's that light pollution getting in the way. Sometimes there's clouds uh, covering them. We're not able to see the stars, sense the wonder for all that it's worth. Well, as we dive into the Bible today, I'm hoping that um, it'll get us to, in a sense, right, take a step outside. Maybe we'll need to uh, clear out some of the uh, clouds that are in there, kind of peel away some of the light pollution so, ab- so that we're able to see those stars. We're able to experience some of the wonder and awe in our everyday mundane lives. So it's taken me about like four years through seminary to fully grasp this theology of work material. I've got about 30 more minutes with you, so we have a lot of work to do during this time. So can you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter one? So Genesis chapter one. So it's the very first page of the Bible. And you know, whenever someone uh, asks Jesus a tough question, came to him with a controversy, his favorite place to quote from was Genesis. So whether it was questions about uh, marriage or Jesus' second coming, he was constantly going to this book of the Bible. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at Genesis 1, and take a look at God's work, and we're going to see how it applies to our work. But go to Genesis 1, 1 verse 1, the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Genesis 1 was written by ancient Israelites thousands and thousands of years ago. And it's the story of how God created all things. So everything you see outside how God created it all. Genesis, however, wasn't the only creation story at the time that it was written. Israel's neighbors all had their own version of how the world came into being. And many of those stories involved a great battle and a war between rival gods. So here's a depiction of one. This was excavated um, somewhere around ancient Nineveh. It was on the side of a temple. And this is a depiction of Enuma Elish. It's the Babylonian creation story. And as you can see here, uh, Marduk, he's the one with the beard, and he kind of has the insanely defined calf muscle at the bottom. Like, they really wanted you to see that. And he's battling it out with Tiamat. You can see, so Tiamat is the chaos monster. It's this creature, it's this god that creates chaos in the world. And so what Marduk does, he battles, battles Tiamat, has this kind of violent and vicious battle, overtakes Tiamat, and out of the the mess of war, out of of Tiamat's body, he creates everything that that we see here. So for the Babylonians, right, the world, what we see around here, was birthed from violence. And the chaos in our universe was tamed through war and through conquest. So the Babylonian story later describes, it continues on, it, it describes how some of the gods were tasked with working the earth to produce food and water systems. these gods, they hated their jobs, right? They thought it was demeaning to them. And so what do they do? They unionize. They create the first union. They go and protest. They go to Marduk, right? They say, do something about this. Like, this work is is below us. So Marduk's solution was to outsource the work by creating humanity. So humans were created to do the work that gods didn't want to do. Like, you and I, we do the demeaning work here on, on Earth, right? But the Bible... In Genesis in particular, it tells a much different story. So some scholars say that, that Genesis is, is written kind of in response to a uh, new Middle East, the Babylonian creation story. Um, but in either way, it, it subverts the Babylonian story. In Genesis one, um, we see no great battle. There's no war or rival that God needs to defeat. In Genesis one, we don't see God as a violent warrior. Instead, we see God as a worker. So if we go to the very end of the creation account, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished from his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he has done. So God's act of creation, according to the Bible, isn't after work, right? He's not in competition. He's not fighting any rivals. Instead, he's just peacefully at work. It's as though he's a skilled artist sitting down at a blank canvas, Just painting away. Or he's like a home builder with an unlimited budget designing and constructing his dream property without having to go to any, uh, get any city permits or anything like that. So additionally, we don't see God begrudgingly working like the Babylonian gods. Rather, we see um, God enjoying and respecting his work. So seven times in Genesis 1, it notes that God sees that his work is good. It's as though he's proud um, of what he's accomplished during his work. So according to the Bible, right, work isn't a product of the fall or of human sin. And unlike the Babylonian story, work is not imposed on us by some lazy or capricious gods. Rather our God, the God of the Bible, is a God who works. So let's take a closer look at Genesis 1 to see what it says about the nature of God's work. Um, What does God's work week actually look like over his six days um, of creation? Let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the creation story starts with the world in a state of chaos, right? So it says that the earth was without form and void. So the Hebrew words here underneath without form and void, it's tohu vavohu. And my seminary professor said that it's usually not helpful to bring up Hebrew words in a sermon, but this one's just fun to say, right? Tohu vavohu. It's it's a Hebrew rhyme. It means something like chaotic emptiness, or in many translations, it says formless and void. It's used in the Bible to describe a churning ocean abyss, waves just crashing on one another. Or in other places, it's used to describe a hot, dry, lifeless desert. So basically, Sacramento in the summertime. So tohu, right, tohu Vavohu, in either one of those cases, it's a place where nothing can grow and no one can survive. In Genesis 1, right, we see um, that there's darkness over the face of the deep, that's the abyss, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. So it's referring to kind of a chaotic, dark ocean abyss. And so what we're gonna see over God's work week so it starts, the world starts in a, in, a, in a place that's formless and void, that's chaotic, that's empty. And then over the first three days of creation, right, God's going to take what's formless and he's going to start doing some forming. He's going to create some spaces and some structures. And then over the next three days of creation, he's going to take the emptiness, right, the void, and he's going to start filling those places that he created with uh, creatures. So you see here, right, so days one, two, and three. So, so on day one, he starts to do some forming, right, it's all darkness, but God speaks light into existence. He says, let there be light. He speaks a word into existence. And then there's light. There's not only darkness, right? There's, there's light during the day, darkness during night. There's day and there's night. There's day and there's night. There's kind of this rhythm of time. And then on day two, he's going to take the chaotic waters, right? And then he's going to create kind of like an air bubble in the midst of it. So he's separating the waters from above and below, and he's creating sky. Sky's above. Water's down below. Then on day three, he's gonna have land emerge from the waters. So you can see he's creating these structures, he's creating these spaces. God takes what is formless and he creates spaces for flourishing, right? Sky, water, land, and then this rhythm of light, light and darkness. Then over the next three days, he's gonna start filling in those spaces. So, right, so day one, he created light, darkness. Day four, he creates the sun to fill the daytime. Moon and stars to fill the nighttime. Day five corresponds to day two, right? God creates sky and the waters down below. So create these sky creatures and then water creatures, so birds of the air and then fish down below. And then on day six, corresponds to day three, starts to create these land creatures. Um, so God fills the empty spaces with creatures to flourish. And God takes what is formless and he creates spaces for flourishing, right? He fills the empty spaces with creatures to flourish. So have you ever seen this before? This kind of structure in Genesis 1? I think it's it's pretty cool. So scholars who look at this, who kind of see this structure, some of them say, you know, Genesis 1, it's kind of like poetry, right? It's highly structured, like piece of writing. Others say it's like an artistic narrative. Um, In either case, I think the medium is the message, right? Genesis 1 describes the world, describes everything that we see out there as highly ordered and carefully designed. But then Genesis 1 is a piece of writing, right? The very words that are used are highly ordered carefully designed. The medium is a message. I think that's pretty cool. But I was trying to think of an example of how to like bring this down, bring this down to earth and, and kind of share an example of what this looks like in our daily lives. And the best thing I could think of is the backyard. So um, back behind the church, we created this beautiful space back there. We can hold events. And I think yesterday we just finished up the plant drive. So thank you everyone for contributing to that. We're like continuing to beautify the space. But do you guys remember what it looked like before we started to do stuff back there? I got a picture, see that? You know what that is right there? That's tohu vavohu back there, right? Right? That's formless and void, it's, it's ugly, no one ever went back there. Like the only people to go back there were your kids who were causing trouble, right? But we had to do some work to it, right? So we had to, I think that was like a pond or like, like a fountain or something, so we had to fill in the fountain, we had to clear away the rocks, we had to level level the, level the ground, we put in some turf, uh, build some fencing, and then we put in some lights, right, so that we can do some events at night, and we created this space. This is beautiful. So we create this space that is prime and ready for flourishing, right, for events, and then we started to fill this space with events over the past year. So we had um, a couple of days back there where, where we as a church can go back there, we can do ministry, we can have life, we can flourish uh, together. And so this is this kind of picture of what God is doing at the beginning, beginning of creation, right? He's taking something that is disordered, taking something that doesn't have function, that's formless and void, and he's creating these spaces for flourishing. Then he's filling it with us, with his creatures, to actually flourish within there. So God's work creates order out of chaos. He brings light out of the darkness. He is working to create spaces where flourishing and life can happen. So all of God's work, right, over those six days, it's actually leading up It's building up to this climactic moment where he creates humanity. And not only does he create humanity, but he says that he creates humanity in the image of God. So Genesis 1, 27 says, so God created man in his own image. This actually probably isn't the best translation because I think when we see man, sometimes we think male, right? It's not that God's creating males in the image of God. It's that God's creating all of us. So God created humanity, all of us here in the image of God. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So all of God's creation is leading up to this moment. God creates us and makes us in his image. But what does it mean to be made in the image of God, right? I think generally we understand that it gives us value and worth, but what does it actually mean to be made as an image? So the Hebrew word for image is the same word for idol, statue, um, so uh, idols uh, were created to be material representations of immaterial gods. So ancient people would set up idol statues in temples to be the physical representation and the very presence of God here on earth. So, so we don't have idol statues like they did in ancient cultures, but it's a little bit like this. Let me see. You guys been to the Lincoln Memorial before? I went to, as, as a Canadian thinking about becoming an American, I, went to, I, I did a pilgrimage there at one time. And so this right? This statue is in the image of Abraham Lincoln, right? And the memorial is built to embody the vision and the values that Lincoln saw for our country. So kind of in the same way, right? Humanity is made in the image of God. The Bible is saying that we are like physical, embodied representations of God here on earth. So when you look around the room and you see each and every person in here, you are seeing a bit of who God is. The Bible says that we are like living, breathing statues. Or representatives of God here on earth. You are an image of God. But the text doesn't stop there. As images of God, God is actually calling us to do something. Right? So it says, so God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Right? He goes on. He says, And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply. And it says, Fill the earth and subdue it. So as images of God, we are created to fill and to subdue. He's calling us to explore the world, right, to fill it, and then to make something of it, to subdue it. So go and discover all that I've created. This was God saying, go discover all that I've created in the world, go out into all of it, and harness its potential. One author said that filling and subduing means that we plant crops, we build houses, we invent solar power, we design computers, we make music, we shape art, we come up with technology. Theologians for centuries has called this uh, the cultural mandate. So God is calling humanity to harness the raw, uncut potential of the earth. And he wants us to take creation somewhere, right? To make culture. And this is interesting, right? So when God created the world, he didn't create it as necessarily finished, right? Instead, he created it full of potential. He calls humanity to bring out that potential, to kind of continue the work that he started. So God is happy for us to make scientific discoveries, to film thoughtful movies, to build better buildings, to become more compassionate parents, to create efficient systems, right? The reason God created humanity is to explore, to create, to bring out the potential that God had embedded in this world. God created humanity to work, right? That's what we do with our work every day, right? We're trying to bring out the potential. We're trying to harness the chaos that's out there. So, what does this actually look like in our daily lives so my wife chelsea you know you know her she comes up here every now and then to end off uh, the services so one day a week she works at a coffee roasting company and actually the life cycle of coffee that coffee that you drink every day is pretty interesting so coffee grows on these uh, small plants and the coffee beans they grow within these um, little fruit they kind of look like cherries like red cherries and the beans are inside But, you know, someone had to go and discover that plant, right? Someone way back in the day discovered this, found out that it has this coffee inside of it. There's another person who worked to cultivate the plant. So the plant grows really well, and the cherries grow kind of of perfectly, and they harvest it at the right time. There's another person who discovered how to extract the bean from the pulp and we've made machines on how to do that. Other people dry, um, dry the coffee and then package it. And then we have to transport it, right? We have to get it from wherever the farm is all around the world. So we have to develop roadway systems. We have to um, like design trucks to hold it. We have to design ships to carry it around the world. Then there's this whole like logistics teams um, who manages kind of from point A to point B. And then it gets to uh, my wife's work, right? They buy coffee from Ethiopia or from Colombia, and then they learn how to roast it. Like their jobs is to bring out the potential of that bean. And different, like, different coffee beans from around the world, they have to be roasted differently, so it's a bit of an art. But even if you roast the coffee like perfectly, you're not done, you have to learn how to brew it properly. And so as humans, we've created this like glorious machine, it's called espresso machine, right? Um, and then and then you go to your barista and they know how to pull a shot perfectly like out of there. And so they take that shot and then they learn to mix it with milk to make you like a delicious cappuccino. But that's not it. Another person discovered that you can do latte art just to make it beautiful at the end. So so right, when, when someone takes that that coffee and he gives when a Barista takes that coffee and gives it to you, what started as this uncultivated plant that God that that God that God created, right? Ended up with this glorious cup of coffee. Um, that they give you. And when God sees that, he says, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what it means to fill um, and and subdue. subdue. So my wife, right? When she comes home from work from the the coffee roasting, she doesn't have like like a full heart after a work day with a single tear of joy saying, you know, like I pushed creation forward today, right? (laughs) I am doing the will of God. No, right? Like she's tired. Her eyes are itchy from the green coffee. And the work of roasting coffee is actually quite mundane. right? However, she is nonetheless helping to fulfill humanity's calling. And so are you with your jobs. right? Your jobs can be quite mundane at times, but God is working in and through you to actually push creation forward in some way. So work isn't, isn't a product of the fall. It's not a consequence of our sin. It's the very reason why God created humanity. We were made to fill and to subdue. But does filling and subduing remind you of anything? Yeah, isn't that what God did during his work week, right? God subdued the chaos, and then he filled the world with his creatures. So God took what was formless and void, and he started forming and filling. And as images of God, right, he's calling us to do the same, to fill and to subdue. So the world was formless and void, and God worked to bring order, right? God worked to bring order to to, to this creation, and then as images of God, right, as his statues, his representations, he's calling us to do the same here in the world, to fill and to subdue. So to be an image of God is not only to reflect God in our being, but also in our doing, right? Our work is supposed to be a reflection of God, God's work. Or maybe better put, our work is supposed to be a continuation of God's work. So one of my favorite uh, biblical scholars his name is J. Richard Middleton, he says, God has started the process of forming and filling, which humans as God's earthly delegates are to continue. So right, so God created coffee plants, so go make delicious cappuccinos out of them. God made sounds, so go make music, right? God created these building materials, so go design architecture and make beautiful spaces. This is what it means to be made in the image of God, right? Your work is meant to be a continuation of God's work. So I want you to reflect now, right? So, in what ways does your work bring order out of chaos? Uh, how are you bringing the potential out of what God has created through your job? I'll give an example about me and my life. So, I work kind of back office at an investment consulting firm. I run a team that gathers hordes of complex investment data and we synthesize that into kind of digestible reports for our clients and investors. So, we're creating reports. And if that sounds like a boring job, like to 99% of you, it'd be like incredibly boring every single day. But I, I love it. Um, but the way that I view my work, right? so my team, we are subduing the information chaos, and we're creating something that can help our clients and investors make good investment decisions. right? So we're taking the chaos, and we're bringing the potential out of this information. But actually, one of my favorite parts of my job, uh, another part of it, is I get to hire and mentor college graduates. Um, and so these, these kids, when they graduate from college, they have so much potential, but it it like definitely needs to be brought out of them. Um, so I get to teach them how to manage their workload, how to write business emails, how to, how to not look dumb in front of business executives. That's like an important part of working in a corporation and then how to, how to flourish, right? In a large working environment. And so that, that, that's my day job. I I can kind of see through um, through, through what I am doing with the information and then what I'm doing through, um, through the people that I get to work with and I'm trying to bring out the potential. I'm kind of harnessing the chaos. But that's just my day job, right? I also have a night job. After I'm done my day job, um, I go to my night job and in the evenings I have a two-year-old that I need to parent, right? And there's nothing more chaotic in the world than a two-year-old. <laughs> I don't know if you can see, it's kind of far away. I have these like claw marks on the side of my face right now. It looks like a bear attacked me. And no, it's, it's just my son. It's just my two-year-old. And so part of my job as a parent, right, I'm trying to subdue the chaos, trying to teach him not to hit his mom, not to scratch me. I'm trying to shape him to become a person who's a contributing member of society, right? I'm trying to bring out his potential so that he can, he can become someone who loves God and loves his neighbor, And this is all part of God's commission of filling and subduing. So whether you have a job outside of the house um, or you have a job um, staying home with the kids, right? You have a part to play in God's plan. But what does it look like for you? What does it look like uh, for you to fill and subdue in your work or in your daily lives? So Martin Luther, right? He's a great uh, reformer from the 1500s. He argued that God calls every Christian equally to their work. So he calls pastors, pastors, and then he calls uh, everyday workers. So when he was reading Psalm 145, he noted how it says that God feeds every living thing. Um, and Luther concluded that God is feeding us through the labor of farmers and those delivering the food to us. So through the jobs of everyday people. So like when you go to In-N-Out, right, for, for dinner, and you, you sit there and you thank God for you say thank you, God, for this food, right? That burger didn't just appear in front of you. That, that wasn't like a manna burger from heaven, Right? There's, a whole, there's a whole horde of people in the back, like internet workers, who are putting that thing together for you. Right? So even if you're flipping burgers, right, you are in some way being the hand of God in the world. You are feeding um, um, people. You're God's means of feeding um, um, people in the world. So if you go to your job every day, you bring order out of chaos, or you're bringing out the potential out of creation. If you're serving others, or you're creating these flourishing environments, you are doing the work of God. You're helping to fulfill God's calling upon humanity. And you are, what Luther would say, is the hand of God in the world. He's working in and through you. So then your everyday mundane job, if that's the case, can be just as much of a divine calling as a pastor or a missionary. So Pastor Mark, he's got an important job here as a pastor. Nathan has an important job here as a pastor. The whole ministry staff here, they have important jobs um, here at the church. And you have an important job to do right? God's calling all of us and he's working through all of us to actually accomplish what he wants to in and through the world. Have you guys met Josh Hudapea here? Um, Josh is awesome. I've gotten to, gotten to get to know him um, over my time at Creekside. Tall, dark, handsome, like um, world's nicest guy. Um, he's going to share a little bit about his work after, after my sermon. Um, but, but Josh spent a lot of time, a lot of money going to school to become a physiotherapist, right? So if you have an injury, He has the skills to get you back on your feet. Now, we believe that God can heal us directly, right? And we pray for that, that God provide healing whenever we're injured. However, you know, if Josh goes to work and he does a good job, if he harnesses all that he has has learned and applies it to his patients, I see that as the healing hand of God working through Josh, right? God is providing healing to the world through Josh, through his skills, through his work. So just like Josh, Josh, or God, just like Josh, God has called you, and he's working through you to provide blessing into the world. So, so far, I've painted a pretty rosy picture of our work and what we're called to do. However, maybe some of you are like rolling your eyes because it doesn't feel very grounded and realistic, right? Because we live in a broken world, and our work is hard, right? We're overworked. We're underappreciated. We can feel stuck in jobs that we hate sometimes we can idolize our jobs, giving too much of ourselves over to our work. So our work is, is a call to subdue the chaos that's in the world, to bring out the potential. But so often our companies, our work, unleash more chaos into the world than they actually subdue, right? There is brokenness in this world that gets in the way of us having meaningful jobs that fill and subdue. And Mark's going to talk about this next week. He's going to have a whole, whole sermon about how sin affects our work, how we're broken people. Um, working broken jobs. But I think that part of our calling as Christians is also to subdue some of that chaos that we as humans have brought into the world, right? To help heal the brokenness that is caused by sin. So Jesus, right, when he comes, he wants to do a work in you so that he can do a work through you into the world. So we take a look at John's gospel, right? At the very beginning of John's gospel, it says that Jesus in the, is the word. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? In the beginning, right? That's an allusion to Genesis 1, like we just talked about. And, and, and in, in John, it says all things were made through Jesus. And so just as God spoke all things into being, remember when God said, let there be light? It's like that word that God spoke. John is saying that's, that's like Jesus. He's like the active agent in God's, God's creation, So through Jesus, right, God brought light, God brought order, God brought life and created flourishing. He was there when God was forming and filling. And then in John's gospel, it says, as the word became flesh, right, Jesus is continuing that work uh, once again uh, in us and then in our world. So Jesus heals us of our brokenness, right? He forgives us of our sins. He subdues the chaos in our lives and he restores us as true image bearers of God. Right, so when we come to Jesus, we have a lot of chaos, and, and He's bringing order. Right, He's filling us with Himself. He's helping us give life, and He's He's helping us flourish. Jesus is doing a work in you, right, to transform you, but it's not just for you, right. It's so that you can do a work in the world. Like Jesus is transforming you so that you can continue that and continue what He's done in your life in and through the world. So our our calling as Christians is to be aware of the brokenness in our world and to look uh, look for how Jesus wants to work in through us. So what kind of healing, what kind of restoration or flourishing does Jesus wanna provide through you at your workspaces or in your homes? So about a week ago, um, I was actually in India visiting some of my colleagues. So over over the past few years, I helped build a team of over 20 people in India to kind of uh, help with our workload. And last week, I actually got to go and visit them. Like we developed our team um, 2020, uh, so during COVID, so I wasn't able to go. Um, So we've been building this team over Zoom, but I finally got to go there and see what's been going on over there. Um, And within my industry, um, within finance, it's really common to develop teams um, in in India to help with um, kind of our workload here in America. But unfortunately, it's also common in my industry to treat your India teams like second-class employees, right? You overwork them, you don't provide sufficient training or feedback, you don't provide them with opportunities to learn or grow, and you only give them the work that no one else wants to do. So when, when we were creating our team in India, me and my manager, who's also a Christian, uh, wanted to do things differently. And we recognized that every person on our India team is made in the image of God and thus has equal value and worth as those of us in America. So we, so some of the practical things we decided to do, we, we include them in our team calls. We try to give them the same opportunities as our American team members. We provide a lot of training and FaceTime with us managers. And then last week, um, me and my manager, we went out to India to ensure that they're all treated well by our company. right? And so we don't do everything perfect, and we're still trying to figure out what this actually looks like. Um, but we see an issue in our industry. We see something that's broken, that has been brought, up, brought upon by sin. And in, in, in the ways that I have influenced, we're trying, to, we're trying to mend that. And so as a result of the work that we've done, we have one of the best performing teams in India that our companies have seen. And while I was there, one of the, the leaders for our India team, he noted how drastically different this experience was compared to the other American teams that he's worked with. And I was able to share with him that it's because of my faith in Jesus, and that's how it shapes the way that I do my work, right? So Jesus is doing a work in me, I can see, so that I can do a work in the world. So God is calling us to fill and to subdue, right? To heal, to bring order, to bring life and flourishing. So yeah, I want you to think once again, like what does that look like for you, your work? Like we're, all of our work, it's so, it's so different. I don't, I don't know everything that, that you do, But but what is the spirit trying to tell you? What does that look like in your workplace? What does it look like for you to fill and subdue? What does it look like for you to provide healing in your homes, wherever you find yourself? How can you restore what is broken in our world in and through our work? So I I got one one more story for you guys, um, and then I'll kind of hand it over to to Mark and Josh. But uh, back in 2017, my wife and I went on a missions trip to St. Petersburg, Russia. And on one of our free days we got to go to the Hermitage which is a world-renowned museum and when we arrived there I found it odd that the security guards were pouring out all of the water bottles filled with liquid right so you weren't allowed to bring in any filled bottles into the museum so I asked what was up and our tour guide said that in 1985 a man came into the museum and defaced the museum's most prized painting it was a famous work by Rembrandt It it was basically priceless Uh, So the man came in, he took a knife, and he sliced part of the painting. And then he took out a a bottle, and he poured uh, like a whole bottle of sulfuric acid all over the work. So the beautiful painting, the priceless painting, appeared to be ruined. But a restoration team was formed, and after 12 painstaking years, they were able to restore some of the beauty back to the painting. Now, the painting was never fully restored, but through the skill and the hard work of the team, right? Through their in-depth knowledge of the artist, of Rembrandt and his style, the team was able to undo some of the harm that the man had caused. And I think this is a picture um, of our mission in the world through our work, right? Humanity has defaced God's creation and his good intentions for the world, right? We have unleashed chaos upon the beauty of his work. But as Christians, we're like that restoration team, right? We get to know our creator Get to know His plan for the world, right? Like Jesus does a work in us, right? He subdues the chaos, He's helped healing us, forming us. Then, as we get to know Jesus, as we get to know God and His plan for the world, we can help restore some of the beauty that He intended. Now, we can't fully restore creation, right? Creation's too broken. We're not going to heal. We're not going to heal the world through our work. That's only a work that God can do at the end of time. But you know what? Through your skill and through your connection to the artist, to Jesus, to God, we can bring some of the beauty back to this world through the earth. So I think that's our call, right? However it may look for you, you are called to pick up your paintbrush and to work on this restoration project, right? You are called to subdue the chaos, to heal, to bring order, to bring life and flourishing in and through your work. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. We thank you, Jesus, that you do a work in us for how you are transforming us, how you are renewing us and you are making us whole. Lord God, even now, fill our minds with the ways that you want us to work um, in creation, how you want to work through us um, in and through the world, through our workplaces, through our homes, wherever you have us, Lord God, teach us. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Let's thank Steve. Just absolutely delightful. And I think now we're obligated to call him the professor anytime we see him. So just so, thank you, Steve. Just so um, practical but insightful and just Absolutely lovely. I'm so glad that we got a chance to hear from Steve this morning. Um, I'm going to invite Josh who to pay up that it was, he was already alluded to, but now we get to, yeah, let's clap for him. Um, Josh is an amazing guy. So he's, um, he is uh, a beautiful part of our church family Um, He's been a good friend to me. Um, He's just a lovely human, and he's a physical therapist. So um, personally, uh, my daughter uh, plays basketball. Both my girls are total ballers, and um, my older daughter, Abigail, she kept dislocating her knee um, and so we got to actually have Josh be her physical therapist to help get her um, back in shape to now she's getting back onto the court. And it's just a, a beautiful thing. So I had this like really soft spot for Josh. Um, and anyway, so we, what we want to do is as we're talking about um, all this work stuff, um, I can't remember if I said this at the beginning of this service or the end of the last service, but here it goes. Um, I don't want it to be just uh, pastors who spend our time in church world talking about um what you guys should do at work. Did I say this at the beginning of this service? Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, I, I, that's part of having Steve here is he's actually in the work world and talking about it from a theological perspective. We also wanna have some stories shared that are um, just talking about like what it's like to, um, this is how my faith interacts with the kind of work I do. So we're gonna share a few different stories uh, over the next few weeks. Um, from a different, different perspectives and different kinds of work and different people and that kind of a thing, and just trying to make it as real um, as we can in many ways. So Josh, would you share with us some about the work that you do?
2: Yeah. Well, I just first wanted to say thank you to Steve for a beautiful sermon, and then Mark for the opportunity to just speak to you guys here today. Um, so as Mark had mentioned and Steve had mentioned, I work as a physical therapist. So essentially in the healthcare setting, I work with patients who may be recovering from Something major, like a joint replacement surgery, or um, they're having a a bout of low back pain, and then everything in between. So I specialize in musculoskeletal conditions. Um, I'm not a physician, though I have a doctorate degree, and I don't prescribe medication, but I can prescribe exercise. What I found to be unique in my line of work is that I get to work with people who, in this current period of time, they may not be able to walk without a set of crutches or a walker, and then I can take them through months of rehab, and then if their goal is to participate in a half marathon, we get to work on that. Now that's just an example, it's not for everyone. Um, It depends on what you're coming in for. But in any case, what I found to be most fulfilling for me as a physical therapist is, every time a person comes in to the treatment room and sits in front of me, I have the opportunity to give them hope whether that's to walk normally again or to have less pain, my goal is the same. Um, I'm working to improve their overall function and their quality of life. Um, To be completely honest, sometimes it can be discouraging and frustrating when a patient is in so much pain or they're not getting better, but then I have to remember that I have a set of resources in place to help support them. So whether that's in my own tools and abilities in understanding movement science and how to manage pain, or in talking with other co-workers and physicians about different treatment methods, or in praying to God. I believe in our great physician, that he does and can heal, though sometimes physical healing doesn't happen in this lifetime. I believe that in their season of life, I've been placed there to be a conduit of hope. Um, I think it's important to note, though, that while I love my job and I'm passionate about the things that I do, it's not my sole passion. My cup, if you will, needs some leftover to be able to pour into the other roles I've been called to, a soon-to-be husband, a churchgoer, a family member, and just being a friend. So we all have specific vocations that the Lord has allowed us to help further his mission, um, and I'm just grateful to be a part of being able to do that, help his church and then help our community. Beautiful, thank
0: yeah. you, Josh. So, oh, well, hang on, hang on. <laughs> We're gonna get more out of him yet, so don't wear out your hands uh, clapping too much. Um, so, uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and ask you the same stuff I asked uh, first service. But um, so, thank you for sharing that. Obviously, such a beautiful. Um, Thing you're doing and your medical profession is just like helping people get better. I love that, um, and then I love that you shared some of the um, the pitfalls of it, right? So like, it's this isn't my this isn't my whole life. It's not my whole passion. I need time to like invest in my church, my family, and stuff. That's so good. Um, I feel like all of our jobs have like a shadow side to them, or like a um, a wrong turn that you could take, and so I, I, I think of my wife Laura, who's a uh, teacher, and um, so there's obviously good, beautiful ways to be a teacher, and then there's that version of a teacher that's just like so angry at the kids, or at least some of the kids, right? And um, and you just get weighed down, and you hate what you do, and um, and you can be in the staff room just like um, just bitter and angry at everybody and everything and whatever, and um, and so part of Laura's calling is, like, be a, uh, a great version of that and find the life that there is to be in it. So um, could you share with us a little bit about just, like, what what's that wrong turn version of um, physical therapists and how you kind of avoid those types of
2: things? Yeah. I think in dealing with people in a lot of pain, it can be sometimes um, burdensome in the sense that it can wear you out. It can be exhausting. And so it's important to remember that, th- that there – initially was a decision to go into this line of work, right? Um, and then on top of that, you have to recognize that the person sitting in front of you is not in their best state. So you have to extend this compassion, this empathy um, for this person who you have been you know, given the responsibility um, to help. So with time and I think a lot of years of experience, um, you can either be broken by a type of job like that in a healthcare setting, um, or you can try to seek out different ways to make sure that you are finding yourself renewed and that you're being able to approach each person as an individual um, and not just be so worn out by that.
0: Awesome, yeah. thank you.
2: Still don't clap, hang tight. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you guys want to so much, and I understand. But uh, um, So the last, last kind of follow-up with that I have is um, w- one of the big things with this is um, we want us to, like, be a church that supports each other, right? Not just when we're here singing together or listening or praying or whatever, but like sending each other out, whatever. So Josh, what what would it look like for you to be like this? um, Like how does the church family, how can we like support you, pray for you? How can we like, how does being a part of a a healthy church family um, tie into what you're doing in your work life?
2: Well, I think in all of our own specific day-to-day actions, in your prayer life, you can just be mindful and considering the people who are um, extending their hand at work in a hospital setting, in a private clinic, um, because there's so many people out there who are hurting um, that you don't get to see on a day-to-day basis depending on what you do. And so if you can just be praying for those people that they're not worn out, that they're not, you know, getting so exhausted by their work, um, it would be important because I think that We all have specific gifts, and we need to be um, encouraging and trying to help each other out in that sense. Yeah, thank you. Now let's clap it, Josh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the way that we're going to close out our service uh, now is um, with prayer, and um, in my heart for this is uh, I think I'm so thankful that Steve kind of pointed this out. Like we can think of, uh, the work that a pastor does is like, that's the spiritual work. And then the rest of you guys just do unspiritual things. It's so not true. And, but it's hard. It's like easy to like see, okay, like a a, a missionary that we're sending out, like they're going to like represent us overseas. Let's pray for them and send them out. Um, but honestly the reality is, is here's Josh and he's a part of our family, right? And he is transformed by the love of Jesus and he is going out into our community, um, As a missionary, like that really is what it is. And I want us to see that about Josh. I want us to see it about all of each other. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray for Josh together as a missionary that we're sending out in that sense. Um, By extension from there, I want us to also kind of use this moment to pray for um, all of our church family that is in some version of Um, the medical profession, whether that's doctors, nurses, um, first responders. We have a lot of those types of people in our church family, and we want to be praying for them. Um, And then by extension, yet again, um, praying for all of us as we go out into whatever um, sphere we are, just to say, hey, we are representing Christ, and we're part of this family, and we're all doing this work that really deeply matters. So would you join me in praying um, for those three things? Lord, thank you so much for Joshua Udipaya. Uh, What a gift he has been um, to me to our church family, um, he and Jessica both have just been this bright spot and this blessing to our family. Um, thank you for what you're doing in his life. Thank you for how you've uh, just shined your love into his heart and, and brought him alive in you and the encouragement that you bring to the people around him. What a gift. Lord, we, we pray right now for Josh in his work life. You've opened up this opportunity for him to be a physical therapist. You've provided him the uh, determination to make it through his doctorate degree, to, to do his practices, to, to get in there, and now he's with these patients. Lord, would you be with him? Would you give him a heart that is full of hope and full of love and grace for these patients that he's helping? Um, would you keep him from the wrong turns that we take. Keep him from a, a hardness of heart or discouragement or a frustration in it. And may he just be your loving presence, your hands and your feet in um, the lives of these people that often are coming in at a really low point. May you use him to bring um, hope and healing. And Lord, I extend this out to um, the members of our congregation who are um, in the medical field. And um, doctors nurses first responders of all types um, Lord would you use uh, these members of our family to be a blessing to our community to bring healing and comfort and um, and just like a new new hope in their life uh, uh, would you do that Lord would you would you provide them everything they need to do that uh, in grace independence on you and as your co-workers in our community um, what a gift to have these members of our congregation would you sustain them? Um, and then, Lord, I just I look uh, to our whole church family here. And as we all go out this week, having heard more about your design for our work lives and what that looks like, Lord, would you empower us? Would you give us a clearer sense of vision for what it is that we're doing? Would you give us um, confidence that we are where you've placed us? Um, And would you just, Lord, work through us in in our community around the world? Would you just do that whole thing so that our fellowship with you is not just here on Sundays? It's not just when we're praying, it's not just when we're listening to worship songs, but it's... Every day in the mundane, in the work that you've given us to do, um, would you transform us and transform the world through us? May we be a church family that cares well for each other um, as we send each other out to go and do your work in the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much, Josh.